how many of you know how many days away it is until Christmas? Six? That's right. Uh, I know that very well because my children have been letting me know really since Thanksgiving every day how many days until Christmas. So they, you know, we have told them that Santa Claus is not real. Um, so they want to make sure that we remember when Christmas is so they get their gifts for Christmas. Um, but this, I don't know about you, this week is extremely busy for me. I've counted up, I have seven different Christmas gatherings this week to attend, and, uh, which is fantastic. I'm looking forward to each and every one of them. Um, but, you know, usually the week of Christmas is, is very busy. We have things to wrap. Hopefully you've bought all your gifts Maybe not. Hopefully you've at least started on that. Um, but there's, there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot that can be on our mind during the week of Christmas, celebrations that we have to go to, maybe family members that we're not super excited to see. And, um, but with all of that, traditions to keep up. If we're not careful, we can become so busy, especially during the week of Christmas, going to all of the Christmas gatherings that it's very easy to lose sight of why we are even gathering in the first place. And I know that it's something we mention every year, you know, to keep Christ in Christmas and to remember why we are celebrating it. But I thought I would tell you again to remember why we are celebrating Christmas. And so my hope for us today is that over the next few minutes, we'll be reminded of why Christmas is such a big deal and why it is that we are so busy this week, why it is that we have so many parties to go to, and why it is that we are celebrating what we're celebrating. And hopefully you'll be encouraged and be brought to a place again of the wonder and majesty that is Christmas. And so if you'll open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 1 and also to John chapter 17, we're going to be spending most of our time this morning in Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at a very familiar passage this morning. It's one that probably gets read each and every Christmas season. I know that if you've been in a church during Christmas time, more than likely you've heard this passage read. But as I was thinking of what Christmas message to preach this morning, you know, I, I was having a little bit of a hard time deciding because to preach a Christmas message, really what that means is to preach Christ. And not that I have a hard time preaching Christ, but there's definitely more than one text you can go to to preach our Savior. But I've chosen Matthew chapter 1 because I believe there's amazing truths in this text that are so important for us as believers to hold on to and to truly believe. And so if we could this morning, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of our passage today. I think that'd be good for us to respect and honor the Word of God. And so we're going to start in verse 18, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, in your word is truth. In your word is transformation. God, I truly believe if each and every one of us will believe what this text says, that in it is eternal life. Lord, I pray that the truths of this passage would be communicated in a way that would please you today. Lord, that you would soften the hearts of everyone listening this morning so that they can receive what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. So this morning, there's two things in this passage that I would like to highlight. Two things that I would like to look at. The first is the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus. The second is what made the mission of Jesus possible. And so with the mission of Jesus, what was it that this baby was to accomplish? What was the goal for this child? What was his directive? What was Jesus sent to this earth to do? Let's look again at verse 21. It says, the angel says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus. Jesus in Hebrew is pronounced Yeshua, which means salvation. Now this name Jesus, it wasn't an uncommon name at the time of Jesus' birth. In fact, many families named their son Jesus because they were awaiting salvation. They were awaiting to be saved from the oppression that they were living under. So parents would name their sons Yeshua as a reminder that one day a Savior would come to purify their people and save them from oppression. But notice the angel doesn't just stop at you shall call his name Jesus. That's not where he ends his sentence. The angel tells Joseph exactly what Jesus would be saving his people from. Jesus' mission from the very beginning was to save his people from their sins. This verse does not just say that Jesus came to save his people. Yes, it's true, Jesus did save people from many things. He saved Peter from drowning when he pulled him up. 
He saved many people from hunger when he fed thousands multiple times. He even saved people from their illnesses when he healed those who were sick. He also saved people even from physical death by bringing them back to life again. But the angel did not say that Jesus will save his people from the pains of this life. Yes, that was something that Jesus did, but that wasn't why he came to this world. The main reason Jesus came to this earth was to deal with the only thing that all humanity is completely incapable of dealing with themselves, and that is their sin. This is the one thing all of us need saving from. Sin is a disease that nobody is immune from. It's more contagious than COVID. It's deadlier than cancer. The effects of sin are lethal not only in this life, but for all eternity. And sin separates us from God. God, our creator, God who is holy, God who is perfectly righteous and just, God who is so far apart from his creation, sin separates us from having a right relationship with God. And so this is a huge deal because all of us are sinners. And so this very specific proclamation by the angel here is perhaps the greatest announcement that has ever been given. Because in this announcement, he is saying that there is hope for mankind. Before this proclamation, it wasn't known how we would be saved from our sins. But this boy that was to be born, he was coming with a specific mission, and that rescue mission of Jesus was to save sinners. So now for a moment, I would like to look at this word in verse 21. It's a three-letter word that is very important. And this word is His. The angel says that Jesus will save His people from their sins. Jesus was given a mission, but His mission was also very specific. He came for his bride. Jesus came for his sheep. Jesus came for his church. Jesus came to this world to save a specific people. Jesus came to save those whom the Father had given him. And the best passage that I can think of to, to take to you and to read before you to highlight this is John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, we see that Jesus was sent into this world with a specific aim, with a, a specific mission, with a specific people in mind. Jesus was sent into this world to save those whom God had given him before the foundation of the world. And so I'd like to read this entire chapter before you this morning. It's a few verses, but... We're in church, so I figured it's okay if I read the Bible. Amen. But this chapter in John chapter in John chapter 17, it's known as the high priestly prayer. 
And I'd like to read the whole thing because I feel like it will bring all the more significance to our passage in Matthew. Now this prayer of Jesus, it took place hours, if not minutes, before he was betrayed by Judas, before he was arrested and ultimately crucified. And Jesus in this moment, he's reflecting on what he was sent to this earth to accomplish. He's praying to God the Father, thinking about what his mission was, and his hope is that God would be glorified through it. And so John chapter 17, starting in verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So here in these first three, in these first three verses, we see that Jesus was sent from God. And we also see that he was sent to save those whom God had given him. Verse 4 goes on to say, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you, have gave, that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So in this opening portion of, of John 17, Jesus is praying specifically for his disciples, for the twelve that he had chosen. And that's why he says he has not lost one except for the son of destruction, which he was talking about, Judas. Verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So now Jesus is going to shift from praying for his disciples to praying for us, to praying for the church. In verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them as you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So in this passage, you see that Jesus had a very specific people in mind. Jesus mentions over and over that the Father had given him those who would believe in him. And this rescue mission was the driving force for Jesus' ministry. The people whom God had set apart, the people whom God had chosen for Jesus to redeem, is what took Jesus to the cross. And his prayer in this chapter was that God would be glorified through his death. And ultimately, this is what led Jesus to the cross. In Hebrews 12, 2, it tells us that he was so passionate about this mission to save those whom God had given him that he went to the cross with joy. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, because of his love for his people, because of his love for his sheep, came to this earth on a rescue mission to make sure that those who were his would be saved. And he went to the cross with joy, knowing that he was going to accomplish that mission. He took on the wrath of God. He took on the punishment for our sin with joy because he knew what he was sent to earth to do. And Jesus' last words when he said on the cross, it is finished, what he also could have said in that moment was mission accomplished that he succeeded in doing what he had set out to do. He lived a sinless life, that he laid down that life as a perfect sacrifice. His atoning blood and his resurrection, all of this was to complete the mission that he had set out to accomplish 
before the world was even created. And so now going back to Matthew 1.21, you'll notice that the angel here, when he's talking about saving his people from his sins, he says he will save his people from their sins. He didn't say he might save his people. He didn't say, Jesus, this baby's coming to the world, and if everything happens to plan, if everything goes just right, he'll accomplish his mission. No, he says he will save his people. There was never any doubt in the plan of God that Jesus would perfectly accomplish all that he set out to do. From the beginning of all time, there was never any doubt that Jesus was going to accomplish his mission. And that was the redemption and saving of God's chosen people. So now that we have a clear picture of what the mission is, that's the mission of Jesus, that's why Jesus came to this earth, I'd like to take a few minutes to look at how this is even possible. How is it that a man born from a woman could save all of the people whom God had given him from their sins? How could someone that was born of a woman do this? Well, let's look at verse 18 again in Matthew chapter 1. It says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, that's saying before they were intimate with one another, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So in this verse, on the very first page of the New Testament, or second page, depending how, on how large your text is, but we have the very first miracle recorded in the New Testament. Mary, a virgin, is pregnant with child from the Holy Spirit. And on this first page, we have the very foundation for all of Christianity. Because if you take away the virgin birth, if you take away the fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the rest of the New Testament falls apart. And there's many today who want to discredit the virgin birth of Christ. In fact, there's many today who would say that they are Christians, that they say they, they're okay with Jesus walking on water, they're okay with Him healing the sick, definitely okay with Him turning some water into wine. They're even okay with Him coming back to life. They, they can believe that God worked through Him and gave Him power to do that. But they, they just can't come around to believing that he could be born of a virgin. And there's also those who would say that this was added to the later Gospels. Matthew and Luke were written a few years after John and Mark. And so the skeptics will say, well, John and Mark don't make any mention of the virgin birth of Jesus. And so... Matthew and Luke added this in so they could somehow make sense of the extraordinary life that this man, Jesus, lived. They had to somehow have it make sense, and so they invented this story of the virgin birth. 
But if Jesus was not conceived by the Holy Spirit, he was not divine. If Jesus was born from a man and a woman, just as me and you were, it would have been impossible for him to die for our sins. And if Jesus was not divine, he definitely did not live an extraordinary life. In fact, if Jesus wasn't conceived by the Holy Spirit, if he wasn't born of a virgin, then he lived a lie. Because time and time again, Jesus says that he was sent from the Father. Time and time again, Jesus says that he came from the Father. He says that him and the Father are one. In fact, Jesus claimed to be God himself. And so if he was not born of God, then he was a liar. And so his life was not extraordinary. In fact, his life would have been a total sham. If you take away the virgin birth, you take away the gospel. If you take away the virgin birth, Jesus wasn't the Son of God. And if Jesus had been conceived by a man, like I said, he would have been a liar, and therefore the apostles would have fallen for a lie, and all of the New Testament would have been based on a lie. And with that, we have no hope for salvation. But... Because Matthew 1.18 tells us that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit because Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit, we do have hope. Because Jesus was sent from God, because Jesus was God in the flesh, we can trust His sacrifice for our sin. Because of the virgin birth, we can know that when Jesus proclaimed, it is finished on the cross, that he was telling the truth. And if you are having a hard time this morning believing in the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ, maybe you're one of those that you're cool with every other miracle in the New Testament except for the virgin birth. You just can't come around to buying into that. I would ask you to pray that God would give you that faith. Because for all of us in here who, who can say, yes, we believe that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, in the natural, that makes no sense whatsoever. It, it takes an act of God to even have the faith to believe in the birth of our Christ. And that's a work that only God can do. And you know... There will be many Christmas messages that are preached all around the world this year, and y'all have heard many, I know. But sadly, many um, won't mention the three-letter word that this passage talks about, the word sin. You'll hear a lot of Christmas messages about the hope that Jesus brings, the peace that He brings, how He wants you to be filled with that peace, how he wants you to shine the light, which is all true. It is something that we have through Christ. Thankfully, we have the hope. But we can't lose sight of why Jesus came to this world. And that's because all of us have a problem, and that problem is sin. And if you take sin away from the Christmas story, you have nothing. But Jesus 
because of his love for his people. Because of his love for his elect, whom God had chosen before the foundation of the world, came on a mission to save us from the problem that we could not save ourselves from. So I believe that Matthew chapter 1, I believe that this passage is such an important text for us. Because in this passage, not only are we given the mission of Jesus, but we're given the assurance that he was able to accomplish this mission by it telling us that he was born by God. So in closing today, I want to ask you, have you put your faith in this Jesus? Amen. Have you put your faith in the one who sent, who was sent to save you from your sins? Romans 3.23, it tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short from the glory of God fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us in here is in need of a Savior. Every one of us. There, there is not one person in here who isn't in need of being saved from their sin problem. And it's only through Jesus Christ that you can be saved from your sins. Nothing else will save you. Being a good person isn't going to save you. Donating to the Salvation Army isn't going to save you. Serving up a meal for homeless people during this Christmas season, yes, that's wonderful. It's a work that God does through us, but that's not going to save you. There's only one thing that can save us from our sin problem that all of us were born with, and that is Jesus Christ. And so if, if you're here today and maybe you're having a hard time believing what this chapter tells us, maybe you're, you're having a hard time believing that you are wicked, that you are in need of a Savior, maybe you're having a hard time believing in the virgin birth, I would ask you to pray. Pray that God would give you a saving faith in Him. And to turn to Him and to repent of your sins, and to place that faith in Jesus Christ, to forsake all else and run to Him, because He's the only one that can bring you hope in this life. And that is why we celebrate Christmas. That is why we sing the carols. That is why Christmas is truly the greatest time of year, because we are celebrating the fact that our Creator loved us so much that He came to solve the one problem that all of us had that we couldn't fix ourselves. That was to save us and rescue us from our sin. So if, that's, if, you're, if, you're, if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I, I don't believe this. I know there, there, more than likely there's at least one person in here today I beg you to pray for a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Pray that God would save you. Because without Christ, you are living in sin, you are walking in sin. And your eternity, what Scripture tells us, is death.
But with Christ, we have a hope and our eternity will forever be in the presence of our almighty God, where we will see Jesus face to face. And that is what we hope in. And so this week, as you go out and about, as you do your last minute shopping, as you go to all of your parties, as you play your white elephant games with your family, don't lose sight of why you are doing that. As you celebrate, let your celebration be anchored in the fact that you, before the world was even created, were chosen by God to be saved from your sins. This is the miracle of Christmas. And this is why we celebrate. So my prayer for you is that you would be anchored in this truth that Jesus came to save you from what you could not save yourself from. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the truths that are in this passage. God, that your Son existed before this world was even created. God, that you loved us so much that you made a way for us to be saved. Lord, we know ourselves. We're not very lovable people. There's so much wrong with us. God, sin has corrupted each and every one of our hearts. But God, for some reason, you wanted to save us. So Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for your salvation. I thank you that we do have a hope that our eternity is secure for those of us who are in Christ. God, I pray that we would be so anchored in that. Lord, that we just couldn't help but testify of the good news of great joy like the angels proclaimed. Lord, that in this Christmas season that we just could not help but share with our family, with our friends, with those around us the hope that we have because Jesus came for a specific purpose, and he accomplished that purpose. Lord, for those who are in here today who have not come to the place of a saving faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would give that to them this morning. Lord, that they would place their faith in Christ. That they would realize that there is nothing in themselves that they can do to save themselves. But Lord, they can receive the greatest gift of all, the free gift of salvation, which is a gift of grace. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. All that we can do is get in the way of it. But Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of those, that you would save them today. Lord, we thank you for this. God, I pray that you would just continue to remind us of the miracle of Christmas and how amazing it is that we can now look to our Savior knowing that he has accomplished what he came to do, that he has saved us, that he has redeemed us, and now we have a right relationship with the Almighty God who has created all things, that we now can stand in the presence of a holy and righteous God boldly because of what your Son has done for us. 
And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.